0: Hey guys, this is Gary and welcome to another episode of Pod Wars. On Pod Wars we like to dissect Star Wars, Marvel, and our favorite little nuggets of Geek Media. I'm here today with my favorite little frog egg, Justice. What's up guys? And today we're excited to discuss some nuggets of animation and virtual reality and a little bit of our favorite stuff, Pixar. So today we have Neth Nam on the show. He's worked within said fields, and we just discuss a lot of different aspects of animation from that artistic angle. So we're excited to hear, have you guys listen to this interview, and enjoy.
1: (coughs) All
0: right, guys, we're really excited to have Neth Nam on the show. Neth, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. I'm glad uh, to be here, and thank you for
0: inviting me. So, Neth has worked on a lot of different properties within animation, including Pixar, and then a little bit with DreamWorks and Claudia with A Chance of Meatballs. He's also worked within the field of VR and just kind of making different fields of geeky media. But, Neth, just to start out with a little question, we'd like to hear first, since you work so much in Pixar, what is your favorite Pixar film?
1: Oh, um, favorite Pixar film? I would say... I got to keep it like original. I have to go with Toy Story 1 and Monster Inc., the first one. And uh, just original films, because that's what inspired me to become an animator and become an artist. And there was, you know, back then, uh, Pixar films, there was something special about watching them because they were only released once in every two to three years back then. And you knew that when they delivered, they delivered.
0: We've talked to a few animators and a lot of them come back to that, just to that film of Toy Story. What about those films especially inspired you to pursue this career path?
1: Um, Well, I, at first, like, I I always knew I wanted to become an artist since I was little. Um, I think that's, like, every artist's dream and what they've done. But I've been drawing since I was little, like, uh, the longest I could remember. It's back when I was, like, maybe in third grade. And every class I could take, electives in 7th grade to even 8th grade to all the way in high school, all my electives were just filled with art. I went into AP art and even in high school. Um, and I just got to the point where after drawing so much and I saw what Pixar was delivering and, uh, and their storytelling as well, and the new cg animation that they were making i just felt really inspired like wow i have to know what this is and i, I want to find out more about it so i started researching different colleges uh where i could go to learn cg animation um because i'm, I'm all about i'm the type of artist where i want to put myself in the unknown and i want to learn from that i i'm not afraid of you know just failing just trying new things and i always believe that art as a medium uh, you know can can transcend beyond just just paper and pen
0: i was going to say that had to have been a, quite a jump going from the physical medium as your main artistic outlet to more of the digital how was it with that transition
1: oh it was, it was painful um, I, I remember my first CG software was Bryce 3D. I'm not sure if you guys heard of Bryce. It was like really old school CG software, Bryce or Lightwave. Um, and I remember using that in high school, um, and I didn't even know what I was doing at all. It was it was pretty painful. I was clicking every single button, um, and I was going to like Barnes and Noble. You know, uh, you would buy those dummy books, those really thick books. Um, I would definitely try to read them and I would try to uh, extract as much information as possible. It, even It was tough even in college. Uh, I went to Academy of Art University and when I was there, it, was, it took me a few years to really get the hang of Maya um, and the hang of animation because during that time when we were in school, um, there wasn't a lot of documentation or tutorials or on how to make CG animation or filmmaking at all, YouTube didn't even exist back then. So, um, but now it's, the landscape has totally changed. Like Anything you need and want, it's on YouTube.
0: So I imagine that it was kind of a process of not only discovering how to do it yourself, but kind of keeping up with this ever-changing media. Because if CG is that kind of just starting out, it, like you mentioned, there's not much to really teach you on something that's just being developed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it was tough. And, and wh- I remember when I started, um, attending college, I didn't really know specifically what track I wanted to go. All I know, all I knew was like, I want to make films like Pixar. And I remember talking to the advisor. She was like, well, you need to choose a track. Do you want animation, modeling, texturing, like rigging, and I, I felt very overwhelmed. I was like, what does this even mean? I, I, I don't even know, right? I'm just like this, this, I felt like this noob that only understood just paper and pencil. Um, but, it, but I felt like my career really changed because of the roommates and friends I made at my dorms. Um, because those, those friends that I, made, uh, I met and, and became really best friends with, They're the ones that I I think really pushed me to become an animator. And I saw them as great artists and great animators. So I kind of followed their path.
2: So taking it a step back a little bit, since this is a uh, a Star Wars podcast, um, we're we're interested in wanting to know, we always ask, what is your favorite Star Wars movie?
1: I would say the original trilogy, um, Jedi. um, And yeah, I would say the original. and. And the Mandalorian is—I uh, would say it's pretty good. Did you guys like that show, Mandalorian, the first one?
0: Oh, yeah, we we gush on it far too much. We adore <laughs> that. I mean, Baby Yoda is basically our own little child now.
1: That's great. I haven't watched the second one yet, though. Oh,
0: you it, it can be a little overwhelming if you're not kind of the super nerds like us with some new characters but it's still incredible filmmaking. It just the artistic detail for it is phenomenal.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we we just uh did an episode recently talking about the second and third episode and yeah, it was we we just can't talk about and stress how awesome it is watching it. So definitely you should check it out when you get a chance.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean the production quality and the the animation is like it's superb. It's, it's really really good. And, um, yeah, like Return of the Jedi, I would say, was one of my favorites uh, film from from the whole Star Wars universe.
0: Now, going back to kind of your path as an animator, I I feel like for a lot of the animators we talked to, they grew up with that love of technology first, in a way. And it seems like you grew up with more of the love of kind of the artistic medium. Uh, When did you kind of develop that? technological aspect of inspiration
1: oh uh much much later much much later um yeah mine was more of the the craftsmanship the artistry Um, i would say the technology came about when vr started happening and that was vr started happening i would say about nine years into my career as an animator um i believe um and that's when I started to look look uh, deeply into uh, like game engines, real time, um, and and st- and started to really analyze and ask questions. Why aren't more animation studios using um, real time engines for order film?
2: I don't know if you've seen the documentary of um, the behind the scenes for the Mandalorian, but John Father talks about using game engines for, I believe, it's the, um, the volume, is the, the, the volume. Well, but doesn't he talk about also using like it for, uh, the two animal book or jungle book and then, uh, the the game. Game.
0: yes.
1: Yeah. They, and yeah, the, the volume is, it's something that they do at LLM and Lucas art uh, as well. And they, uh, and they use real time engine. They're also using, um, unreal to capture. So what the volume is, is they project um, basically like a, a matte painting or a CG environment background where you don't have to wait until post-production anymore. It's live. It's right there. You could put the actor uh, in front of the, uh, the volume um, to, to capture everything in real time. And So you could see what's going to look like in the final product rather than shooting in a green screen, um, rotoscoping in, or erasing things
0: out. Which is kind of a, a natural extension of some of your real-time work and VR work, which we're going to get to later. But let's discuss, because we're huge Pixar fans, we'd love to hear kind of what led you towards Disney and Pixar from that initial inspiration and kind of your experiences working with them.
1: Yeah, I so I, when I was in college, I knew that the, uh, the pinnacle of animation is to be at Pixar animation studio. So I worked my butt off in school. We're talking about, you know, like at least like 16 to almost 20 hours a day, seven days a week, like two years straight, my junior and senior year. I worked really, really hard. And I remember applying, applying for the Pixar inter- internship. And I got rejected. I was totally, totally bummed out. But luckily I applied to Disney at the same time um, and Disney opened their doors for me. Um, So I went to work at Disney. Even when I was working at Disney, I was still applying to Pixar every year. And when I went to Sony, I still was applying to Pixar every year. When I went to Rhythm Hughes, I was still applying to Pixar. And the crazy thing was that I got rejected every single year from Pixar. And and then what the reason why they accepted me is because they saw they were actually paying attention. It's really a, a fabulous. Is that every year they were actually seeing my progression as an animator. So finally, after like four years of a, applying every single year, they're like, "Dude, we have to give them a shot." So that yeah, that's how I landed a job at
2: Pixar. <laughs> That's really cool did you did you like frame the exception letter when you got it?
1: yeah, but uh pretty much I framed that and the first paycheck
0: <laughs> oh yes <laughs> oh that's awesome well, yeah, I mean that's that's cool that they actually noticed your progression a little bit to the point where they're like, okay, this guy's clearly advancing very well very quickly. Let's give him a shot, plus also, I think there's some credit to just annoying your goals so often until you finally get it.
1: Yeah. And, and I, th- I think that speaks volume to anybody if you want anything out there, right? Like, just because you get rejected once, don't see that as like, they don't want me. And then you just give up. Like, no, it just means what are you going to do about this rejection and how are you going to get better?
0: Now, let's go to some of the properties you've done for Disney and Pixar. So... Brave, Cars 2, and Toy Story 3. Can you kind of share a little bit of your, what you worked on in those films and your experiences with them? Yeah,
1: I could go in, uh, in order I, if, I, if my memory suits me well. Uh, so at Disney, I worked on Bolt. Um, and my Disney experience was, was actually fun, but it was quite interesting because that was during the time when the transition in... Transitioning was happening with, Dixar, um, with Pixar and uh, Disney where John Lasseter and Ed Catmull. Um, this was a time where uh, Disney bought Pixar. Then uh, John Lasseter was becoming the uh, creative chief for both studios. And so, we, so being at Disney, I saw that merger happening. And that was really interesting. But I feel like that's a, another story that I could tell. Then um, at Pixar, I first started my, my first film there was Toy Story 3. Then it was uh, um, Brave, uh, Monsters, uh, University, Cars 2. Um, I did pre-production for for Good Dinosaur. I worked on like Blue Umbrella, um, some of the Toy Mater's um, shows as well.
0: Now, what uh, do you happen to remember? What scenes in like what scene in especially the one that draws out to me is Toy Story 3 because that was such a highly anticipated film. Do you remember what scenes and which parts of that project you worked on?
1: Oh, I would say a little bit of everything because I started my career at Pixar as a fixed animator. So, as a a fixed animator, uh, you're basically touching every single scene. Um, and it's, it's not like you have a shot that you could actually own. It's more of, um, it's almost like you're a cleanup artist as, as, a, as a 2D animator. Um, and what's what's interesting about my path to Pixar was that, um, because before Pixar, I was a character animator at Sony Rhythm Hughes. But when Pixar opened up their position, um, they said, we have an opening, but it's a fixed animator. It's not an animator. Um, and that was something where they, to a lot of people, would, 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 the position is, would be considered a downgrade because fixed animator cleanup work is below, right? An animator. But I said to myself, heck yeah, I have to do this. This is, this is probably my only opening. Um, so I, ac- I accepted that position knowing that I'm going to be a fixed animator and um, so yeah on on Toy Story 3 I came in middle of production Um, I did a lot of the scenes were when um, towards the middle and towards the end of the film so when they're in the dumpster um, and they were all going to die almost going to die Um, I I did a lot of cleanup work there Uh, I did a lot of cleanup work at the end where bonnie was saying bye to um andy
2: yeah as you're as you're working on them are you are you crying like everyone else is while they're watching (laughs) the movie or (laughs) yeah the that you know pixar 3 was i I remember being at that
1: studio i remember opening the rig for the first time on the computer like i opened up woody and i remember just pausing there for a second i was like holy moly this is the character that changed me as an artist, and I just sat there just looking at him and on the computer, and it was it's such a crazy feeling, um, and yeah, it's, it, I remember when they showed um, because I, at Pixar they they show you the the film uh, while it's in progression, like every few months. I remember watching it before it was even done; it was in the middle of production, and I, I just thought like it was. Such a solid, solid film, um, and I also remember that when even their first round of writing the script, it was it was already solid. Um, so they knew they had something like really special in their hands.
0: Did you know, kind of at least a fair amount of the script going into it? Because I'd imagine for myself, if I was working on the scene where I'm seeing my favorite toys, these amazing characters, basically getting burned alive, <laughs> I'd have to be wondering. Uh, what the hell is going on here? Like, did you know what was going on with that scene, or was it still just completely up in the air? Yeah.
1: So, um, working at Pixar, they have uh, like a tool where you could actually snoop around to other scenes <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to 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 see what's going to happen at the next sequence, next sequence. So I couldn't. I honestly I couldn't contain myself. So when I knew. I got that scene when they're about to die. I had to I had to stitch the other clips next to it to figure out what's going to happen. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. There's no <laughs> way you could just watch that and be like, okay, this is going to be a thing I'm going to work on for a few months. That's okay. That's not going to wreck me emotionally.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Would you say that working on Toy Story 3 was is your proudest um, thing that you've done at Pixar or um, do you like some of the other projects that you worked on?
1: Um, I would say I, I wouldn't say t- I had fun and have learned a lot in Toy, uh, in Toy Story Three, but it wasn't my proudest, just because I came in middle of production, so my ownership was really really small. I would say the most fun I had was on Cars Two. Mm. Um, yeah, the I, I know the movie is just okay, right? And everyone knows that, but the but why it was so much fun and. It, I was really proud of my work there. It's because of the leadership and managers I had and also just the crew that was around me. Um, They just made it super, super fun.
0: And I feel like that's kind of what Cars 2, or heck, the whole Cars series is kind of about because nobody watches Cars expecting Citizen Kane. I, I mean, Cars is just a fun kind of movie and a fun property. And I think that's that had to have been what it felt like going to work for that production, just that feeling of it something fun, <laughs> yeah, pretty much they
1: uh for one of the most memorable moments was when they they took us out to the racing tracks, and we spent a whole day at the racing track. And it was so much fun. so we they took, like, uh, all the animators to the racing track they we took a we had like a driving course uh, we had a, an instructor telling us how to drive a, a race car properly so we we got to drive and and uh, i think like a, it was like an audi I, I don't know the exact model but we we were able to drive an audi and do donuts that's and so we cool and we were we were able to to do drifts with the car, and we were able to sit in a, an Audi R8, and they want us, but they want us to feel the G-force on on the racing track. Um, so then we could take those information and put it on screen when we're back at our computers. So that was super, super
0: fun. That's cool. Granted, I have to say, the person who put that into the budget—they're definitely full of crap. That it was needed for the project, they just wanted to race an <laughs> Audi there, just as fast <laughs> as hell. <laughs> you yeah, know, some I, Disney execs like—they're full of crap right now.
1: Uh, I, I pretty much like—I don't know if it really helped me that much on the actual film, but it did made made me enjoy the experience of making the film more. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so i have a i have a question so monsters university the when it came out i was very little and then when this sorry when the when the first one came out i was very little and then like gary and then the second one uh came out we're you know college post-college um what was the mindset going in were you guys thinking like we're making this movie for these kids that grew up seeing the first one or just like trying to make sure that everyone can enjoy it
1: I think uh, that's that's a, you know that's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not too too sure, but my my assumption would be they they wanted to make a film where everyone could enjoy it. That's kind of like the Pixar model uh, with a majority of their films. They they try not to make it for a particular or a, a subgroup. Uh, they want to make sure all the friends and family can enjoy it. Um, and it's kind of true, like. You don't with uh, Mo- uh, Monsters University. You don't really need to see the first one to really understand the second one. Um, uh, but of course, like the the Pixar series, uh, I feel like you have to watch every single one. Um, but but yeah, it's um, that 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 film was super super challenging because like every crowd animation that you see on there that was I either either touched it. Um, or our team touched it 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 was ridiculous because you know it's on college campus so it's there's a lot of side characters
0: and i feel like you can't really do some little animation cheats with their side characters because they're all just all these interesting looking creatures so it doesn't look like just a sea of people each and every one has its own personality so i imagine the crowd animation had to have been insane
1: yeah, it was, it was I mean there, there was, it was pretty much insane. Um, the we we would have to build uh, like cycle animation and then and then apply some of these cycle animation to different characters then then from there we would tweak the animation to, to have more variations. Um, so if you know we had we had to plan our animation carefully because there's hundreds and hundreds of um uh, background uh, character especially when they're at the stadium and they're like running down the stadium to to come on the field that was that was that was really challenging for me that that took me a few weeks to yeah
0: now moving past pixar we'd like to talk about kind of the other mediums you've worked on one being the real-time filmmaking so can you explain for our listeners what what you mean by that real-time filmmaking and then a little bit of your role with sonder
1: yeah so like in a traditional sense uh working at disney and pixar um what they do is uh, when you render an image or you render um a sequence uh, you send it to a render farm uh, and it could take anywhere from sometimes 20 to 30 hours to just render one frame but with uh with real-time engine that's from a game like Unreal or Unity, it's real-time. So you're seeing your change. So like, if you have a scene open in your software and you, you manipulate the lighting um, and you, you're, you're seeing everything in real-time and you're seeing the changes in real-time, whereas in a, a traditional sense, to see everything, you would have to send it to a render every time you manipulate something. Then 20 hours later, you see the results. And if you don't and if you want to tweak something small, you have to send it back to a render to do another twenty hours. You know what I mean? so it's it's really time heavy and and it's not as productive. But with uh, real time, you you're seeing things instantly
0: So it's using then uh, more of a gaming engine to make it faster. Does that make it easier for? kind of the tweaking of the process how what are kind of the positives and negatives of using this type of filmmaking
1: yeah the positive sense is that uh, with real time um it's it's much faster for a director uh, like myself or others to to sit in a meeting room and to say actually make this light red or this light blue. Can you move the camera? Let's move the lighting over here. I don't like this set. Let's move it over here. So you're, you could start tweaking on a fly um, without shooting it to the render farm. So it's much, much faster. Of course, there's a con to a game engine, uh, I would say, right now. Uh, when we first started Sonder back in 2015, um, it was again uh, there was no documentation on how to make an animated film in the game engine uh, we had a we had to kind of build our own documentation and also learn from uh, uh, some of the pros and engineers from unity we, we had to part you know we did a partnership with them so we had to kind of pick, the, pick their brains as well so there's a lot a lot of uh, trials and errors there but the, the i would say some of the cons which things are getting better is that um there's you know back then when we first started Sonder it was really difficult to get like soft shadows. Um, and that that might sound something small, but it's it's such an important detail to have in film or um, or like really difficult setup where if you want to transfer over the animation or cloth sim from, let's say, if you're doing all the technical stuff in Maya, you want to transfer everything to um, Unity. You know, sometimes it's not one-on-one. Things will break. Uh, things will fall apart just because the pipeline isn't set up correctly and there isn't uh, the proper tool that the, the software, because sometimes the software isn't meant um, to make a film. But now, especially in sp- uh, present time, we're, we're seeing studios um, adapting to, to filmmakers a lot more, so which, which is really good in a sense.
2: Now you you were an animator for a while um and then you you talk about being a director was that transition difficult or like sw- switching from those different roles
1: Um it, it wasn't uh just because I felt like I built up to it um I it wasn't like I just switched the uh, a position that just said, oh, I just want to be a director. And then I just jumped into Sonder. Sonder took uh, a lot of preparation. Um, For instance, after I left Pixar, um, you know, uh, after I left Pixar, I I, I started work in VR and startups um, studios, doing more uh, AR, VR, uh, games, and working at small places allowed me to, to get like more hands-on experience, top and bottom, the the production of how to make something. And that allowed me to build like a team around me where I was becoming a, a supervisor, a manager, a hiring manager. So I knew how to build teams. Then on top of that, I was teaching at Academy of Art University for a few years Then teaching at Academy, being a supervisor at my my day job that, that helped me to become a director. Um, and then how the idea of, uh, of starting Sonder, um, I would say even though the film took three years to make, um, on the side, like independently on nights and weekends that, that took three years, but then before Sonder, it, I would say it took another two years before we got to Sonder. Um, because we knew that we wanted to do something big and ambitious. Um, but in order to do that, we needed to build a culture first. Because we can't just start um, working on a big project without understanding who's our crew, who's our, who's our team members, and what type of culture is it that we want to build. Um, so we 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 spent a lot of time uh, doing small projects. Like uh, like we built a VR game called Lilypad or we did like a short film project where where it was only three minutes long, but we gave ourselves like a really strict deadline where we only had six weeks to complete it. So we would give ourselves these little tasks to to complete. And and the goal wasn't to try to win awards for these small projects, but it was to build um, and strengthen our muscle and our culture.
0: Which I do like that idea of the best way to build a good working environment is to start working on things and to try to tweak it from there. But to take a step back a little bit to the idea of gaming engines in filmmaking, where do you see the future of that going? I mean, obviously, we talked about the Mandalorian using Unreal Engine for a lot of their pre-visualization. And then you hear of other companies like, say, Bethesda, that's trying to make entirely new gaming engines. Do you see that developing more towards... Animation, or do you think animation is still going to stick with the similar process of the rendering and CGI? Uh,
1: yeah, that's a great question, and I think I think it's going to be both. Um, I think it's going to be on the type of studio that uh, that you built or you've been building, because I I don't see Disney or Pixar doing uh, switching suddenly to real time rendering. Um, just because they have their own proprietary software where their lighting is almost as real time, anyways. Um, and they have a, a set way of working. Um, but studios like Disney and Pixar, they, they are, as a, as like, a, they, they have their own research department as well. So they are looking into real time um, engines and rendering. Um, the, and more and more films, uh, VFX films, are using game engines. Um, but we, we haven't seen a lot of traditional animation or CG animation using 100% of real time um, and releasing it into like Netflix or streaming services. Uh, we haven't seen too, too, too many of that. But I, I think the future will become that. But a lot more... Commercial houses and advertising houses um, are definitely using real time more than uh, feature film studios
0: now moving away from the uh, kind of the real time and animation, you mentioned a lot with VR and you worked with oculus Story Studios as well. Can you explain your experience with VR and kind of how that kind of portrays your more of your new art, how you use VR as an artistic media.
1: Yeah, at, I, uh, at Oculus Story Studio, I worked on Lost. Lost was their first VR experience. And the, I remember when they called, brought me on to that project, they said, oh, you know, we're not going to release it. This is more for internal use only. Um, and it's for us to just get, the, you know, into the swing of things. And I was like, okay, but I'm gonna still bust my butt off of this and make it as the best I could you know it could be. And I remember when they pitched me the story, um, it, w- it was crazy. I had I think I animated over like, four thousand frames in less than two weeks. <laughs> so I <laughs> that that was crazy. And that that was tough, right? Um, and that was and then on top of that I had a polish too. So that, that was like another extra two weeks. So about in four weeks, I was in about a month, I was able to finish a, a 4,000 frame animation. I'm not sure if you guys have seen or experienced Lost in VR yet. Um, but but I remember when I first worked on that, um, VR was still really, really brand new in a sense of from the filmmaking side. So people didn't really understand how to use the camera, how to use sound per se, um, and that was super, super exciting to sit down with the director and with other peers to really, really think about like what, what are we trying to say here and, and what are we trying to make um, the audience feel when they watch this? So after that experience, I would say that's what propelled me even further to to try different VR experiences at different places.
0: I was wondering your thoughts on this too, because we've talked with other individuals within the uh, the realm of VR, and I think that kind of in this world with the pandemic, it really gives VR a chance to shine. Uh, you hear news reports of people missing the mm-hmm. movie theaters, and them thinking, "Okay, we could do VR screenings," or people missing theme parks and saying, "We can do kind of a theme park in VR." Where do you feel VR fits into our world right now, either through the lens of filmmaking or just general experience?
1: Yeah, I would say at when VR, um, when Facebook, at the, well, at the early stages of VR, um, there was a lot more filmmaking startups that were trying to, to put filmmaking into VR. Now you don't see them as much. For instance, Aqua Story Studio isn't around and a few, a few other handfuls of, of films, at, um, VR film studios—they're—they're they're not around either. So, um, what we're seeing now in VR is that, especially with the Quest Two. I'm not sure, do you guys own a Quest? An Oculus Quest?
2: I'm thinking about getting one for Christmas, but uh, no, not yet. It's—you
1: guys should get it. It's to to me, it's 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 one of the best VR experiences I've had so far. Um. It just because there's no cord, it's much lighter. The the resolution and the pixel density is much much better than the first gen. Um, but it, uh, but most importantly, it's really really easy to to share and pass it around uh, in the living room with your family or friends. Um, the but l- if you look at like the content and the product of VR there isn't a lot of films um, that's, that's made for VR that much anymore. Um, it's more of a, a side experience. So like there, here's a VR version. Um, or if you want to experience a Star Wars game, here is a VR version of that, right? So, um, But we're seeing a lot of VRs being more used towards not just filmmaking per se, but interaction and gaming.
2: Is there a Lord of the Rings um, VR experience?
0: No, I just kind of made that up as an example. Because <laughs> <laughs> if there is, they <laughs> can shut up and take my money right now, because I do that.
1: <laughs> Have you guys tried the uh, Darth Vader VR? Yeah. We were
0: just talking with someone about that, and we've had a few opportunities to try it, but it's always been super packed, because the Vader Immortal looks just It's incredible. really
1: good. Yeah. it's I... I, I it's really good you guys should try it I, I I was glued in my VR headset for over two hours and the battery w- went dead and that's the other thing about VR that's just uh, to me it's a little crappy is the battery life still sucks and the waiting time to to recharge the battery takes about two to three hours so it's yeah it's a, it's a small yeah it's a small amount
0: now, do you think that VR is better geared towards gaming? Or do you think there's still a, an aspect of filmmaking that can be used within virtual reality?
1: I think there's, there's still room for uh, filmmaking to to excel in VR. Um, I, think, I think as long as the technology keeps getting better... Well, I'll, I'll say that uh, when I had a VR headset and I was with my friends and family... Um, on a vacation trip. I remember bringing up my Quest and I passed it uh, after trying a VR experience, I passed it around. And these, these are like average Joe people. They're not technologists or nerds like us, right? So they don't know anything about VR and it's their first time trying it. Everybody, over 90% of the people had a really tough time like understanding VR or even, even the retention of trying it for the second time was very low. The only people that would put on the headset again was people like us that are nerds that understood games or understood films. They're like, you no, I want to try it on because we're nerding out about these small details. But the average Joe people just didn't care. So we need—I feel like—as uh, artists, as technologists, people that are building VR content, we need to do a better job of like catering towards more towards the average Joe,
0: which might be a little tough because it is a very growing and techie kind I know. of deal. So the techie exactly. and nerdy people are drawn to it, which is why things like Vader Immortal or different, like we we've done in the past, more of the Spider Man Homecoming VR experience, and that was incredible, like a Spider Man jumping off of buildings. But where do you think VR could, or what ways could VR kind of break into more of this popular realm into kind of the average, maybe not the mega nerd type of individual?
1: Um. I mean like Beat Saber is freaking awesome. It's so simple but trying in VR. I would say that's the that's one of the first games that a lot of a lot of people like. I think it's one of the most popular games in VR right now, right? As in sale-wise.
0: Which is interesting cuz it's such a simple game compared to some of the other experiences. You got ones like uh Superhot VR which is just like this crazy pause motion shooter game and then all the mm-hmm. star wars ones that are these immense world building it's kind of interesting that everyone in the populace is like you know what let's do guitar hero but we're shooting at like <laughs> lightsabers and things
2: and that's it's, pretty much what it was it's like a dance dance evolution but you know a little bit like the vr version
1: yeah yeah. The um, yeah. Don't you guys remember when Rock Band first came out and how popular that was?
2: Oh yeah. We, oh yeah.
0: Everyone lost their minds <laughs> over
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It was. I, I remember. I was like. It, I was just glued to the to the screen and to the game for, for weeks. But but the lifespan of that was actually pretty short. Then I kind of foresee. I hate to say it, but Beat Saber would be something like that in the in the future. So we we have to we have to think beyond that. And and in order to think beyond that is is Facebook is already has uh like multiplayer interaction on, on their Quest two, and and they're already they're already thinking about the future Quest headset that's going to be, be released in the next few years. So um, and I, and I know that's only going to push uh, the medium forward,
0: which I feel like is an area of VR the multiplayer that is really lacking because I think VR would go crazy if it had more of that couch co-op op- option. of you could be sitting yep. down next to your friend in this virtual reality world.
1: Yep, I, I totally agree. Um, because that's a, that's the one thing that kind of sucks right now. I, I, the, the story that I told you guys about where I passed the headset around, um, it, just, it just felt like a line was waiting. Once I finished, I ha- have to pass it around. And then the other person will pass, then it's already two hours later, people are asleep. So it's, and, sh- and we, we also tethered it to our, our, our television in our living room, but that wasn't the same at all, right? Um, people could see like what, what I'm seeing or what I'm playing with, but it's different. Like they, but I'm driving the narrative and it's not them. Because if they're not driving the narrative, they're not as engaged, but they'll be more engaged if it was a multiplayer. We're all playing it simultaneously, but
2: we weren't. So speaking of uh, driving the narrative, I'm, I'm curious. I want to know, how does filmmaking expand your horizons as a creator?
1: Um, you know, I always see filmmaking, like one of the reasons why I've, I left Pixar to to kind of venture into the unknown of filmmaking is because I always saw animation as is, is that, Animation isn't just meant to be on a a flat screen or be told in in a theatrical sense. but like if that you could bring those storytelling um, moments and ideas to to VR. And I was like, you know, I'm going to take this chance because i I want to be doing something new and and exploring a new worlds uh, with this technology. So that kind of led me into to VR. then from VR. The, the AR augmented reality started opening up. So I started experimenting with that. Um, then, I, then I started to play around with games a little bit more. So I, I, I just feel like technology, filmmaking story, it really needs to go hand in hand because anytime you're building, the more I'm directing something or the more that films that I'm making, I'm always trying to think of what can I do? do better and what newer technology can I use on this film so it, it can make it look and feel different um, because I I feel like especially for animated films there's still a lot of opportunities to tell different ways and new stories and new new ways to, to look at a film um, for instance uh, do you guys know Roger Dinkins the no. cinematographer
0: not familiar yeah, with definitely.
1: Him. Yeah, definitely look up his work because Roger Dinkins is one of the most famous cinemat- live action cinematographers out there. He's the one that did uh, 1917 mm. cinematography for that. Love yeah. that
2: movie. It was a good movie.
1: And he helped with uh, the cinematography of Wally and also um, How to Train Your Dragon, the first one. Mm. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's this, when we, Combine, or when we do a hybrid of bringing a live action cinematographer into an animated film, it creates a new richness. And I feel like we're not seeing that that much, but when it does happen, it makes the film like extra special. That's why the first 20 minutes of Wally, you're like, wow, this is really good. That if you pay attention to the camera move in a cinematography, that's all Roger Deakins. And the, the cinematography also of, of how you train your dragon. Like, it's all because of Roger Deakins.
0: Which is an interesting kind of mindset, if I'm interpreting what you're saying here, of looking at animation through the lens of a cinematographer, thinking of kind of the camera shot with each thing that you're showing on screen, not just simply the animation aspect of you getting these characters Perfect. to look lifelike Exactly.
1: Exactly. 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 There's, so there's- if... Go
2: ahead. I was gonna say, so if you had the opportunity to do something in animation, VR, filmmaking, or gaming, what what would you, would you do, or you try doing like a, a combination of all of it? Like, if someone gave you just like as much money, go make something. What what would you try doing?
1: Um, I don't I don't know if I would do something in VR. Um, if I if I do something in VR, I, I think I would do a game. I, I wouldn't try to make a film in VR. Um, and but if if I had some money, I would make. I think I would make an animated film that's like Game of Thrones. Something something that's more drama heavy, but it's also a little bit of twist of fantasy and and some darkness in there. That's what I would do. We don't have that.
2: You heard it here first on Pod Wars. When that comes out, everyone's gonna come back and listen to this when you create this uh, awesome TV show. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but you're right. I mean, they've ventured into it a little bit with kind of the like westernized anime of Castlevania and some of the stuff on Netflix. But it's not super out there. People kind of have that disconnect of taking animation to this darker realm pretty often. But it, it provides a lot of opportunities because you're not restricted by either necessarily the crazy budget or the laws of physics with what you want to do with animation.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well said. Um, And when you look at animation now, it's still kind of, it's in that box, you know, and where Western animation is still perceived a certain way and animation in Japan is perceived a a different way, right? And it kind of sucks that like Western animation is perceived as kind of friendly family, which is totally fine, but there is also... Adult Swim. There's also uh, Rick and Morty. There's on Netflix. There's Netflix is also doing a lot more adult content animation um, out there. So we're we're still we're starting to see a lot more shows and movies that are trying to um, push push animation forward, which is nice.
0: Now, I guess my final question here for you, as somebody who's worked within well, both animation, filmmaking, and VR, and a little bit of that augmented reality like you mentioned. Uh, Obviously, everyone talks about that exponential curve of advancement of technology, how you could get into all kinds of crazy realms with AR and VR. But, like, tin hats, conspiratory, Black Mirror episodes aside, where do you see this technology going with VR and augmented reality?
1: Um... Yeah, it's, you know when you, I feel like th- those two. Um, I feel like when I first started, you would always associate both of them together, like augmented and VR as a, as as the same thing. But the, the more I work in the field, I I see it as two separate things. Um, for instance, uh, my experience of working on AR stuff at Google, we all of it. Most people are using AR. Or, it's mostly coming out from their phone. So AR isn't from your headset. It's not from any other device. The the most popular place is your phone um, where you could, for instance, at Google, they have a function called playground. um, If you own a pixel phone and on playground, you could put like Avengers character uh, next to you. So if you're taking a picture of your friend, you could drop in like the Hulk, next next to uh, your friend and you could take selfies, you could turn into an emoji and you could share it with people. Um, so they, in that sense, that's super, super fun. So AR, it's, it's being used for like face filters, capture um, for the social aspect of it. That's where it's really popular. The VR right now, uh, especially with um, Quest 2, um, coming from um, Facebook, it's like to me the the interaction and game experience from the gaming side is so much fun, so much fun. Filmmaking side of, of NVR, I wouldn't say eh, I'm not too excited about that, but uh, I, th- I think it's only going to get better from here. Um, so it's and and it's the speed, the refresh rate, the pixel density, the color, the battery life the multiplayer, that's all going to get better. I feel like with VR, we're still in the early adoption stage.
0: Yeah, there definitely seems to be a lot lot of room to grow, both economically, technologically, and artistically with VR and AR. But a lot of exciting possibilities with it. But we'd just like to thank you again, Neth, for coming on the show and sharing a little bit of your experience with our listeners. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, now, where can our listeners go to kind of find out more about your works or a little bit more about you in general?
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say if you you could find a lot of my work and a little bit about me on my website. It's at nethnom.com. So that's N-E-T-H-N-O-M m.com. com. And you could also watch um, the animated short film that I made um, called Sonder that's on the website um and also be on the lookout because um, i'm currently writing a feature animated film script um that should hopefully be picked up and maybe out there maybe in the next few years
0: hey that's awesome yeah and like usual everyone you can get in touch with us at PodWars podcast on twitter and ask pod podcast at gmail.com and have a great week